member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. I fake a smile, no. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bats podcast covering Boston Red Sox baseball. And uh, this is essentially a special ALCS preview against the Astros. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast can be found, as always, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Spreaker, and uh, Stitcher. Uh, Before we get uh, into the uh, meat and potatoes of this episode, I just want to share with the audience that we will be giving away this exact t-shirt right here. Not enough room for me on the camera and the t-shirt. FTYgear.com is uh, giving this away. And uh, if you're not sure what FTY stands for, uh, basically, it means fuck the Yankees. So we'll be giving this away. Uh, also included in that, we will uh, throw in this uh, visor right here with the FTY emblem. If you're interested in more of their products, and there's a wide array of it, you can uh, click the link right above this video window, FTYgear.com. So please uh, give them... Uh, give them a look and uh, if you're interested I know Christmas is coming up so maybe uh, planning ahead to that and uh, from here we will go ahead and uh, discuss some Red Sox Astros with me tonight is uh, Jeremy Schilling and John LeClaire so how are you gentlemen great thanks good how are you John good good so uh Shit is about to get real here. Uh, Tough, tough matchup. We're facing a team that has very few flaws, unlike the last one. And um, probably a tougher series. And even more complicated by the fact uh, yesterday afternoon, Alex Cora announced that David Price will once again be the Game 2 starter for this series. So, uh, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on that? Because we weren't really expecting that based on the last episode. No, I did say that it was going to be Price in Game 2. Um, I, as bad as he's been against the Yankees and as bad as he's been against in the playoffs, my comment was and remains that to win a World Series, Price has to be regular season Price at some point. Um, uh, so I actually did, um, I've listened to that podcast, and I can confirm that I did call Price in Game 2. What I said was, 
It's going to be Price in game two, and then depending on what he does, we may not see him again, uh, or at least as a starter, because technically he should get game six if he has game two. I don't think that's a foregone conclusion. I think it's going to depend on how he pitches in game two. Um, I was reading some of Cora's comments about an hour ago, and what he is attempting to do, and it's a little bit, in my mind, an attempt to shift the narrative away from playoff price versus regular season price. And the way Cora has projected the narrative is Yankees price versus Astros price, because there's very little doubt that price has sucked against the Yankees all year long. It's been an absolute puddle. He's pathetic. He's a loser. Um, I couldn't say enough negative things about how he just turtles in the moments against the Yankees. Uh, but he has been good against the Astros. And uh, despite the fact that I lived in Florida, I flew up for the Pats home opener and went to see the Sox play the uh, Astros on, I think it was September 7th. It was a Friday night game. And he pitched really well. And the the bullpen came in and blew it. But that was a relatively big game at the time. Um, it was one of the last big series they had where it, it potentially meant something because there was enough games for them to at least lose the uh, home field advantage throughout the playoffs. He pitched awesome in that game. And if it wasn't for the playoffs, I think people would remember it more. So I think what, one, I, I predicted this. I agree with this. And maybe we can talk about that. Um, and what I'm seeing from Cora is, Again, he's attempting to shift the narrative away from playoff versus postseason, uh, playoff versus regular season price, and he's trying to say, and I don't blame him, by the way, that this isn't the Yankees price we're going to get. He's pitched well against the Astros, including, by the way, Terry, he pitched well against the Astros out of the bullpen last year in the uh, playoffs. He did, and um... can I make a prediction? Yeah, go ahead. He stinks in game two. <laughs> okay. He stinks. He doesn't give us a chance to win. I'll get on the podcast, hopefully, with you. I will go on my David Price rant. He will He will puddle. He won't give us a chance to win. He will give up a crooked number in the first couple of innings. He'll tax the bullpen. We'll probably have to throw a fucking starter to, to, just, to just survive and advance to game three. And uh, I have no expectations – if he pitches well, and that could be four innings, three runs, as far as I'm concerned, by David Price standards, I'm, that may give us a chance to win. Uh, but I, I, I have zero expectations for this complete sack of shit in game two. All right. Uh, just one second while I switch off a of Wi-Fi. I, I'm supposed to do that at the beginning. Okay, I think we're good now. Um, so, John, before I go on my uh, epic rant, uh, why don't you uh, give us some of your thoughts on uh, Game 2 and David Price? Well, I agree with pretty much everything Jeremy said. I remember the game that he was talking about in September. Price did pitch well. And um, and I get what Cora's doing with the whole, you know, Yankees price versus Astros price. I get what he's saying, obviously. And, um, and I mean, I do kind of agree that Price obviously was way better against the Astros than he was the Yankees. But, I mean, yeah, he sucks in the playoffs. And I agree with Jeremy that I think he's probably going to suck in game two. 
you know, until he changes that narrative on his own and he goes out there and shows that he can pitch in the playoffs as a starter, because obviously he did do it as a reliever last year. Um, but yeah, I think he, I think he really needs to go out and have a good game. Which will he do? No, I doubt it, hundred percent. Um, I personally think Nathan Evaldi should have been the game two starter. Um, that would have been my choice, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. But um, yeah, I have no faith in Price in game two. Yeah, and I mean, neither do I. Um, my narrative has been the same since December of 2015. He just he can't handle this market, and I mean, you take his start last weekend and just compare that to the Yankee Stadium start and the excuses from all the price huggers was that the home runs that were hit in Yankee Stadium were you know would have been flyouts at Fenway and there was nothing to worry about but it didn't seem to matter last weekend when all those balls were going in and over the monster so I just I'm not Astros regular season price versus whatever he's expected to do in the postseason. I get it. I mean, I, I, I get it, but I don't agree with it because he pitched well in relief last year, but that's a much lower pressure role. And we were down, he didn't pitch in the first game. We were down, so we were down one to nothing in the second game and then lost that one. Then he, he helped us um, win the Doug Fister start, which was Game Three. But those are much different. Those are much different animals than um, starting a baseball game. So it's going to be forty-five degrees out, and that much That's like perfect for tingly finger syndrome. Yeah, it's going to be much like the Severino start in April. When he gave up four, uh, Price gave up four runs that first inning against Severino, and and then he essentially quit. You know, he blamed it on his hands and got himself out of the game. And he he didn't essentially quit. He literally didn't go back in the game. It's the definition of quit. He bagged out of that game. He absolutely. You know, did. he. He he's just such a coward sack of shit, and and I'm like I, Terry, thanks for ruining my night because I was all excited to come on the podcast and be chipper, and you had to start with David Price and just ruin the whole thing, you know. But here's the situation, okay? I couldn't disagree with you more, John. Um, despite the things that I've said, so this is going to come across as inconsistent, but I don't think it is. There's no chance for Evaldi in Game 2 because then you go Porcello in Game 3 and who pitches Game 4. And guess whoever pitches Game 4, um, I'm sorry, whoever pitches Game 3 pitches Game 7. You can put Price in that Game 4 situation, but at the end of the day, if is right, and he may be, and Price is regular season Price, he gets two starts and, and maybe you don't get to a Game 7 because he's dominant. And look, what we saw from Evaldi against the Yankees and Porcello against the Yankees, I think is their the top end of what they can do. And so, like I said at the at the outset, maybe it's lost in the shuffle because I'm so anti-Price and it, it just makes me sick to even say his name. Um, he has to be good if you're going to win a World Series. It's not just advance past the Astros. It's you've got to have you know you've got to have quality starts here for the next. 20 days and you've got to you know it's not just about getting past 
like I said, the Astros is about winning the, the World Series. So to, for them to do that, and I know the Astros are, are the best of the, you know, at least three teams we could possibly face remaining. It has to be Price. There's no other. Uh, there's no other alternative. The only other guy who you would maybe start in the game right is Dunn. He's out. Erod's your only lefty, so he's your lefty. Your your lefty bullpen guy. There is no other option. And frankly speaking, um, Cora and Cora is smart enough, I think, to know this. He doesn't have it. He has to show confidence in Price. He has to show confidence in the guys that got him here. Or otherwise, he immediately cr- loses credibility because we know the, the the clubhouse loves David Price. So I really I think his hands were tied. That's why I think it was so easy for me to predict that in the last podcast, and that's why I think there was never any doubt that he would get he would get game two. I just think he'll stink and he'll be a coward and he'll have you know Fortnite syndrome and you know. Well, uh, the one thing though is um, Erod could potentially come in, and I mean he. He's not a starter in the postseason, but he's a starting pitcher, you know. So that's one scenario that could happen. I think that's a likely scenario um, where he where he comes in quickly. If, if like let's say David gets up a run in the first, where he comes in in the second. Is yeah, that what you're talking about. Well, similar to let's just say similar to the uh, game two start. You know, I don't know if it would be one run, but that that kind of leads into this question I wanted to ask if. Price gives up two runs in the first inning. Now, normally, if Verlander does that or, or Cole, Astros Nation isn't going to be panicking because those guys can write the ship. But here's the question. If, if Price does it, you know, if Correa and Altuve get to him and suddenly there's two runs on the board, can he write the ship? Because this crowd is going to turn on him. Like, the patience for the average Red Sox fan is extremely thin. So when the boo birds start coming out and, and the atmosphere gets a little hostile, is price going to be able to write the ship? I don't think he will. I have some detailed analysis on this, Terry. Go ahead. No. <laughs> okay. All right. That's, that's really, uh, that's really, I mean, if anyone thinks he can write the ship, well, first of all, one, would Corey even go back to him in the second? Probably not. And even if he did, does anybody with a fully functioning brain actually believe that? And like, I hope I'm wrong. Right. I mean, I hope he, if that happens, he comes in, he winds up, winds up going six and two, you know, two earned runs, but there's nothing that suggests that especially with his start last week and especially with and I pulled up his stats as a playoff starter. I mean, it's it's worse than I like originally re- recalled it. He's 0 and 9 with a 6.03 earned run average in his history in starting games in the postseason postseason. Like that is unbelievably bad. It's unbelievable that be unbelievably bad. And here's the here's what I thought and I'm not really uh, – I'm more of a baseball traditionalist. Uh, but here's what I thought. The, the, the Rays have been doing this all year. And I, it's never going to happen, but just as maybe just a thought. Would Cora be so far out of bounds by having Hembry or somebody or Kelly or somebody start the game and have Price start the game in the second so as to kind of get them like that little – you know, just get him over that little hurdle of starting the game. Put him in the second inning. Hopefully, you get a clean inning in the first, and then he starts the game in the second. You know, and then six innings get you to the you know get you a little later in the game than it would otherwise. 
it's never going to happen, but it's just something I thought about as how can you, what can you do to help David Price get over that hurdle? Because, because just putting him out there and to start a game over and over and over again just doesn't work. Right. I was kind of going to get into that and not exactly that though. Um, what I wanted to see, and I kind of thought about this at length yesterday morning. Um, so the announcement hadn't been made yet, but what gives the Red Sox the best chance to win, in my opinion, with David Price having some sort of a role, is if he were used as basically as a reliever, and but specifically in the Porcello and Evaldi starts, because let's face it, Evaldi is really only good against the Yankees. He's a Yankee killer. He can shut them down for whatever reason. Against every other team, his ERA this year is over four. So it's probably safe to say the Astros are going to score at least two or three runs. And if that's all they scored, I would probably be thrilled with that. But I think we're looking at at least that, same as Porcello. And that means they're probably each only going five or six at the most. And we have a crap shoot of a bullpen to come in after them. So what I would rather do is use Price as a reliever for games two and three and then just use Erod in the game in game four as a throwaway game. I know that sounds disgusting, but but so is Price starting game two and potentially game six. So I'd rather have just that one game four kind of be the throwaway game. And then I think uh, Evoldi and Porcello's chances of, of winning that game, or, the, or what I should say is the Red Sox winning both of those starts, is to have Price come out of the bullpen in a role that he has done. He's done that role last season and, and pitched very well. And... The alternative is, you know, what they're actually going with is starting him in game two in a role that he clearly can't handle and hasn't handled for 11 years as a professional. So that's what I I would have liked to have seen. And I thought that gives the Red Sox the best chance to win this series. I, I the difference between doing it this year and last year was last year he had the injury, whether it was real or perceived. Um, so there wasn't a hit to his ego. He was pitching out of the bullpen in early September. They had already made the decision to to have him pitch in the bullpen. They announced it early. This year, to do it now would be to say, David, we don't think you can do it as a starter. And while everyone would understand that, at the end of the day, what are you going to get from what message are you sending to David Price saying, well, we know you can't get it done, so go pitch out of the bullpen? I don't think you're going to get the same David Price even out of the bullpen. So I think it's just a dangerous game to play, and that's why I don't think there was ever an, op- an, an option. Um, I think he's going to have a really short leash, but I just don't see it. While, you know, but, but that's not to say I don't disagree with you, Terry. I'm just saying that. How does Cora manage this team where he doesn't alienate the roster, especially, you know, soft as, 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 you know, ice cream, David Price? I mean, yeah, and I get what you're saying, but I, part of me kind of believes that Price wouldn't, wouldn't mind because like we kind of agreed that he quit game that April game. As I got a motorcycle starting right next to my building. 
um, Price essentially quit that game. I mean, he did quit that game, and he he basically quit that other game before the day before he was scheduled to to pitch it when he had to go get diagnosed with that phony baloney carpal tunnel thing to which he was he was pitching like three days after that against toronto so i just i don't there's a distinction to be drawn there though again like he can he can we already talked about this the other day he cited to a fake injury to to excuse that away and anytime there's an excuse, whether real or perceived, David Price does his ego doesn't have to take a hit because he thinks the public understands. Like I'm hurt, or you know, I guys, I, I couldn't pitch all year because I had a sprained elbow or whatever it was last year. This year there are no excuses. It would be so clearly the result of poor performance that I don't. I just don't. I don't think he would even lie to himself. You know what does George Costanza say? It's not a lie if you believe it. Like. He even even David Price in his, you know, paradise, where where he lives, because no one else lives there. Even he couldn't lie to himself and say, you know, oh, I've got, you know, because there's nothing. He's healthy. His velocity's fine. He's he's stretched out to a hundred pitches. He's been pitching all year. There's been no issue since the Phantom Fortnite injury. So if you do what you what you're suggesting, whether you say it or not. The, the baseball public knows that it's because you stink, David, and for no other reason. And they and you can't, you'll you lose them. I just think you'll lose them, and I think Cora agrees with that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if you – while I think it's a good idea, um, I think you'd lose David Bryce. I think he's too mentally soft. I would think you'd say, well, you know, these guys don't believe in me, so why should I believe in myself? And, you know, why should I even want to go out there and pitch if you guys don't believe in me? So I think I think you'd end up alienating David Price, and I just think that that'd be the worst thing you could possibly do, because then you would lose him for who knows what. Like if not just this year, but who knows in the future. I think it would just be too risky of a game to play with somebody like David Price. Again, I tried to make. It. Go ahead, Jeremy. I just quickly, I think John made a great point there. Let's not lose sight of the fact that this guy is still going to be our sock for the next four years. So the fact that it's, it, you know, John's comment was something like, well, what does this do moving forward? And I'm paraphrasing. Um, so great point. I mean, Cora is going to be the manager of this team. Price is going to be on this team. You know, you abandoned me when I came out and made a strong statement and said, I'm ready. I'm not, I don't, ha- I haven't lost confidence. And then you, and then you changed my role. Um, you know, that's going to have an effect on the potentially in the next four years. So just you know to highlight John's point, which I completely agree with. Uh, you know, I, I just think that's a great point. I think it has to be a factor too. Yeah, I just I can't. And you might be right, you know, because everything I'm you know preaching is just based on theory. But I mean, how much lower can he get? Like, where's his rock bottom? Because I think he's pretty much there. So I mean, that's number one. Number two, he was going up to Alex Cora, like walking into his office in the last series saying, hey, I'm available out of the bullpen if you need me today. And um, so, I mean, there, there was the willingness last series to do whatever it took to help. And and then I, I've talked about this before um, on previous shows where I really think he could have started last year. I mean, he was one of those games he pitched 70 innings out of the pen, mid to upper 90s velocity, and 
I really think he just didn't want to start because he didn't want to give manager John, who he apparently hated, the satisfaction of of doing it John Farrell's way. And Farrell was too paranoid about getting fired that he was afraid to get into a public battle with David Price. So Price got his way and he got to pitch out of the bullpen. And well, I just but that's what I, that's what I'm talking about. He had a built in excuse. So he's just going to stand behind it. Because he's not Chris Hale, because he's not Pedro Martinez, because he's not a fully functioning athlete, uh, professional athlete. He's he's a, he's a bitch. So what what's he going to do? He's going to stand behind the built-in excuse, despite the fact that he was back to 95 with a cut, and he was spread out to 70 pitches. Because because he's David Price, he's not Chris Sale, he's not somebody that has that that chip on his shoulder that wants to go get it. And so it just furthers the point that he's just such a soft little bitch. Well, it's a dick yeah. move, though, because he could have started. Was that strong? No, John, no, no, too no strong? you're fine. You're totally fine. <laughs> um, I'm just saying, like, if his, if the best interest of the team was his best interest, he would have started. And I just, that's just one of the many reasons I, I hate this guy. But go, point, Terry. go ahead. Well, because what? He, because we know his best interest has nothing to do with the Ross and Red Sox. It's pitching around the narratives that he's already established because he's fucking sucked in big moments for 11 years. That's the point. You're, you're dead on. He, he's not going to pitch outside. He's not going to do anything outside of his comfort zone. He's not going to do what Porcello did. He's not going to do it successfully. He's not going to go and pitch the eighth in a, in a high leverage situation like Sale did. And if he does, he's going to suck. And I feel like him offering. I feel like him offering to pitch out of the bullpen in the last series. I think he was offering to do that, but that was still with the understanding that no matter what, he was going to get a start in the next series if the Red Sox made it that far. So I think while he was offering and being like, you know, I'll be a team player, I think he figured, yeah, but no matter what, I'll still get a start in the next series. So. Yeah, you know how I had that meeting going in my mind. He sits down. And he's like, he's got his dog Astro with him, and he's like, hey, Alex. Um, I'm ready to go today out of the bullpen, right? And then right as he leaves, he hands him a little folded white piece of paper, and it says, just kidding, but tell tell him what I said to the media. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been. And, you know, I, and, then he, and then he grabs Astro, and he runs out and, and runs around left field and, and rolls around in the grass with his dog so everybody can see him and how nice of a guy he is. Yeah. Um, so I guess we, we all know where we stand here, and uh, I guess – our confidence level is uh, pretty low. That's a common thing amongst us. Yeah, 100%. So guess what? David Price has to win game. I'm not David Price. Oh, my God. I can't believe I just said that. Chris Sale has to win game one. It's That's... a must win. Do or die. Game seven. Got to win game one in Fenway Park with Chris Sale on the mound. Yep. That's uh, that's absolutely what has to happen. And and. I think so many Sox fans don't realize that that I think that game's fifty fifty at best. To be honest with you, um, it could go either way, and I, I'm not taking anything for granted. I think Sale can go out there. He has the issue with Bregman. Bregman owns him, so he's going to have to figure that out uh, during the game. But um, but that's just that's a much more complete team than the Yankees were. And I just, 
we'll we'll get to our predictions at the very end, but it's uh that was a good Indians team that the Astros handled pretty easily. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um who's but, um who's on the mound for the Astros game one? I'm assuming Verlander. It is Verlander. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, let's just go through some of the box scores right now of that Indians game. Uh, most specifically, the pitching, actually. Uh, game one against Cleveland, Verlander went five and a third, only gave up two hits, two earned runs, struck out seven. Ryan Presley came in after him, and he's typically their eighth inning guy, and he's only given up two earned runs since July 11th. I tried to look up to see how how many runs the, the Red Sox had given up in that inning alone since the All-Star break, and I couldn't find a way to to do it. Um, there probably is one, but I, I couldn't do it quick enough before the show. Um, Lance McCullers, typically a starter and a pretty good one when he's on, is coming out of the pen. So kind of like a, a Porcello there, you know, coming out of the pen. And then Osuna is one guy we can get to. We have knocked him around before from his Blue Jays days, and we almost stole a game from them with him closing, um, stole a game from the Astros with Osuna uh, closing it out in September. But he kind of walked the tightrope and managed to get the save. So that was a that's a constant theme throughout this series is is Presley uh, and Osuna coming in and. Um, I wish we had guys that good, <laughs> you know, Kimbrel can be, but who knows? Well, I looked up Presley and this dude's a bad dude, man. I know. 101 strikeouts and 71 innings. You've got to be kidding me. 22 base on balls. Whip 1.11 ERA 2.54 over a full season. Like, I hope that guy slips on a banana peel. Because he's dirty. That is that. I'm sorry. Those numbers are outrageous. And he's not the closer. No, like R- Roberto oh, Osuna. He's a dirt. He's a he's dirty, dude. He's a bad man. So I mean, look, Presley in the game. Um, that's a problem. I, I, I do to some extent throw out some track record stuff in these AL in these big you know in the ALCS or in the World Series where things are just kind of wonky. Um you know the other thing which gives me some hope um we beat Verlander in a series that feels an awful lot like this in two thousand and thirteen when he was the ace of the Detroit Tigers. I so I remember that game well actually. Yeah, I mean, everyone remembers it for Torrey Hunter flipping over the right field fence in the bullpen cop with his arms up as Torrey Hunter's legs are doing the exact opposite motion. Um, no, that was a Scherzer start, actually. That was a Scherzer. Well, I'm just talking generally about the series. Oh, okay. Verlander started – did he start 1-5-7 one, one, and seven, or did he start 1-4 and four in pitching game 7? I can't – You're talking I can't about remember. 2013? Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. he he actually only started game 3. Um and I think that's cuz the the way the Oakland series went, but he would have pitched game 7 if if they got that far, but Yeah. But, I don't remember I don't remember the details as much as I remember kind of key events to be honest with you. You still you, 
it, this series feels an awful lot like that series where I feel like on paper back then, and, and it's been five years, but the Tigers felt like the better team. I felt like at the time the Red Sox were the underdogs, and things just broke right that year, and that was very, and, and that kind of held true in the ALCS. Um, and I don't have the stats necessarily to back this up. So Terry, when you throw the stats in my face in like six minutes, I reserve the right to amend what I say here. <laughs> no, but that's okay. I feel like. I feel like just generally speaking, they've done enough to beat Verlander. I, I, and it's not like a situation where they where they hammer him and he's just, you know, he's you know one of those guys with like a 3-8 ERA career-wise, but like a 5.5 against the Sox. It's not like that, but it's always been enough where they find a way to beat him. I mean, if it's a pitcher's duel and, and the bullpen is solid, I mean, I think that's the best case scenario where the Sox manufacture some runs. I mean, we saw some aggression. I think it was in the Evoldi start in the last series on the bases where Mookie was going first to third, you know, uh, on a dicey play. And that allowed Ben Benintendi to slide into second. And, you know, if we see some aggressiveness that way and uh, – Maybe some bunting, you know. God forbid. Um, you know, you could you could kind of steal a couple of runs and win like a three to two game against a Verlander type guy. That's entirely possible. Um, but I, the other thing too is he's probably not going to go out there and give up four or five runs. You know, he's just hasn't been that type of a guy in the postseason and or or against us in general, really. Um, so, I mean, we're just everybody's going to have to step up if if we're going to take game 1 with Sale on the mound. I think it's going to be a pitcher's duel, no doubt. Um I mean, for me personally, Verlander scares the hell out of me. I feel like there's there's like big game pitchers obviously, and I feel like he's one of them. I feel like he's at the top of the list. Verlander, that game, that game, Sale's going to have to go pitch by pitch with them. And I think it's going to be a duel to the very end, or at least till both of them out of the game. Let's not lose sight that Sale's a better pitcher. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I, Sale, despite the shoulder injury, Sale's ERA was a half run lower this year. He was absolutely fine in the ALDS. He's going to be better, I think. Um, Verlander is getting older, um, and a lot of what we think about Verlander is his, you know, decade-long track record. So, and I, I'm not trying to shortchange Verlander because I think he's an absolute stud, and I think, uh, unlike David Price, <laughs> he he actually gets better in the big moments. But like, let's not lose sight of the fact that the Sox are going to be favored in Game One. And the money's going to flow to the Sox in game one. And Sale's the better pitcher, um, you know, albeit facing a better lineup. But, you know, I, I feel strong. I, I, you know, it's one of those things where, too, the Astros have almost a week off in a sport where you typically play every day. And, I, and I mean, and the Sox are going to have, I think, four days off. So it's not like they've been playing every day. But... The Astros having a week off, I, I think there's going to be enough of a time where they're not just going to roll from the ALDS into the ALCS. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've said more than once on Twitter, if if we could go back to around the time that 
Dombrowski traded for uh, Sale, I would have taken Verlander. And I'm not kidding. And, I mean, Sale, you know, on their best nights, Sale probably is the better guy. But I'm just – I'm a little worried about his efficiency. I mean, he, he hasn't quite gone six full innings yet. We're kind of going to need him to do that in game one. So, you know, if he, if he can be a little sharper, a little more efficient, then, you know, I we could win – we could definitely win that game because – my confidence is is increasing with Brazier. Kimbrel is we're at home. Uh, I'm just hoping that that his issues the other night was more Yankee Stadium related. And um, if Chris Sale goes six full, I like our chances, but I, I have to see him do it first. And I think Verlander, they they have a better pen than we have, so they have the luxury of him coming out, you know, five and a third, five and two thirds, and that's not going to be of really any consequence to them. But um, I don't know. I don't need to see him do it. I I expect him to do it. I think he will do it. I think he will not be uh, and. and what he did in the ALDS against the Yankees suggests to me that the moment's not going to be too big, that his start in 2017 was an aberration, not what he's expected. So, um, and I also think Chris Sale knows who he has pitching the next day um, because he is a realistic guy and he does generally say things that are obvious and not, he doesn't just give the cliche answers. Um, I I think he puts that onus on himself to try to help out David and help out the Boston Red Sox because he knows he has a muddy puddle of shit uh, <laughs> coming behind him in game two. Yeah. That's really so, I mean, look, here's, here's another way of me saying it. Chris Sale knows that if they're going to get to the World Series, he's got to win game one, and I expect him to do it. It's in Fenway Park. I don't think we're going to get shut out. I don't, I don't think we're going to win a you know a, a you know an eight to three game, but I do expect you know hopefully the Sox will score first, and we know how they do when they do that. And you know I think I think Sale is going to be Sale. I think he'll be better than he was in game one of the ALDS. This is a better lineup, though, that doesn't live and die by the long ball. I mean, they—they're—it's just a good hitting lineup. So, um, no, it's the lineups. The lineups ridiculous. There's no question about it. But so is Sale. Yeah. I mean, Sale's the best left-handed pitcher. Maybe not named Kershaw in the, in the big leagues. He's the best left-handed pitcher in the American League. He's the best pitcher in this series. And when he's on and he's healthy, he's absolutely filthy. I don't care. I mean, what what's the saying? Um, in, in October, good pitching always beats good hitting. So, and, and, and look, at the end of the day, I, again, I, I do think that, well, there's going to be some differences here, right? We're going to see Holt. We're going to see Devers. The lefty sticks against Verlander, guys that can swing. And, you know, Devers hits as a fastball guy. I'm not a, I don't think Devers is going to go in there and be overwhelmed by Verlander stuff. And I think the same about Holt, who's just a professional hitter. I think they're going to, and then you have the normal guys, Mookie, Xander, JD. Those guys are going to find a way, I think, to at least put some traffic on base and manufacture some runs. So, you know, I mean, obviously the game could go either way. I just, I think Chris knows, like Chris, I just call him Chris, like he's a friend mm-hmm. of mine. 
Sale, I think Sale knows that <laughs> that what what he has to do to win, and I just for some reason the way he performed in the LDS gives me every confidence that you know maybe he fought, maybe he fails right, but he's going to go out there expecting to do what I'm talking about him doing. I hope he does, and I, I think he is capable of it. So we'll we'll see. He has to be capable of it, or we're going to have a really short series. But uh, any any thoughts on uh, game one, John, before we move on? Um, one thing I think that's kind of flying under the radar a bit, or I've seen a little bit on Twitter, and actually Alex Cora mentioned it, I guess, to him, is I think Mookie Betts is kind of flying under the radar. How we're talking about Price and how much he's stuck in the playoffs. Mookie Betts hasn't exactly lit it up in the playoffs the last couple of years either. I guess even Alex Cora said to Mookie, I guess trying to encourage him, he was telling him how awful he was against the Astros in the playoffs last year. He didn't exactly light the world on fire against the Yankees. So I think we really need Mookie Betts to be well, well Mookie Betts in the playoffs against the Astros series if we're really going to have a chance. Because I think he's, he needs to step up in order for us to win against the Astros pitching, in my opinion, anyways. Yeah, that's an excellent uh, point. Um, he's a career 238 guy right now in the playoffs. He has not hit a home run. He does have two RBIs thanks to a game. Uh, I think that was the Evoldi start uh, in the Yankees series. And one of those RBIs was because he, he helped walk in a run. <laughs> so take that for what it is. But but he's not exactly David Ortiz in in uh, you know the month of October, so um, he does need to step up for sure. And the w- one thing that Alex Cora said today, uh, in addition to that, that kind of bothers me. And this was more with Price, but if this is really his philosophy as a whole, he says that he doesn't believe in clutch hitting. That certain players are clutch in certain moments and that kind of bothers me because I kind of think that certain players are clutch <laughs> at certain times and and that speaks to their ability to handle pressure and whatnot and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say right now before game one that Mookie Betts you know is a disappointment in the month of October but that might be my narrative after this series if it doesn't go well and and then who, who said Sorry. Well, I was going to wrap that up by saying, and that would beg the question: Is this guy going to be worth two hundred and fifty million plus if if there's no success in October to really justify it? Now, like the homers will all say he is, but you know, um, I don't. I know. disagree that all the homers will say he is because, first of all, he has not fallen so flat on his face, a la Dave, David Price. <laughs> That he's like, you know, he's like an automatic out in the playoffs. He's so dynamic. He doesn't have 10 years of track record. We're talking about his second extended, you know, playoff run. Let's not, let's not just say only the homers would say something like that. To me, that, that's like, you know, you're trying to quiet the homer or someone who's on the fence and saying, well, don't, don't say that because if you do, you're a homer. Uh, because I would say that, and I'm not a homer. I don't think the moment's too big for him. He came up in the first uh, inning of Game Four and absolutely ripped the ball to about 400 dead center, and um, Hicks ran it down. 
So uh, it doesn't seem like he's too tight where the moment's too big, a la David Price. Um, I just think that it ha- it's not there yet. There's no indication to me that his body language changes or he tightens up. or I, I just think he hasn't broken through yet, and sometimes that happens. I mean, what did you say? He was a 249 hitter? I mean, it's not it's not like he's, you know, uh, below the Mendoza line and, and Jesus Christ, we're going to have to take him out of the lineup. It's not we're not there. Uh, but, Terry, you said that there was a, uh, a quote from someone about there's no such thing as the clutch gene. Who said that? Alex Cora said he doesn't believe in okay. that thing. Okay. But hang Alex, on. Alex. I think we got that last thing screwed up, though. What what I was saying, the homers would the homers would sign Mookie Betts no matter what, even if he fell below the Mendoza line. They're going to sign him at all costs because when they see him, they see a superstar, regardless of what he can do in October. And that's not how I am. I mean, I look at the heroes of postseasons past, and they weren't all these generational talents. So I could walk away from Mookie Betts if he's not – if he's not a, a big October guy and, and no one's ever going to accuse me of being a homer either. So <laughs> I think I, I, well, there's also a difference between being a homer and being a contrarian. So, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's two, there's two separate ends of the spectrum and I don't think I'm particular either. I, I guess if I leaned in one direction or the other, I guess you would have to say I would lean homer, but just to be a contrarian is not any better than being a homer. I mean, look, the guy is an absolute electric factory, and if you want to get into dollar bills to teams, that guy is the most marketable guy in the in Major League Baseball. You talk about the commissioner coming out and saying Mike Trout's a, a, a UPS box. Mookie Betts is the type of guy that you want at you know with you at the bar. You know, he's got a great smile. I mean, for Christ's sake, he's a professional bowler. Um, he's he's got a great personality. He he likes to talk to the media. He says the right things. So I mean, it's a multi-layered situation. But but I'm sorry, you you can't just say homers would do this and then be the contrarian because frankly speaking, there's no one I think that's anywhere near the middle that would say this guy's not worth 250 million dollars. And it could drift up to four hundred million, but I, that was a conservative number. But um, I, I mean, I just look at the past postseasons. I mean, you had Manny, and, and he could do it, and you had David Ortiz, and he could do it, and they were doing it before. Now they were doing it. Mookie Betts is guaranteed four more games, so that's that's going to be thirteen career postseason games that he might potentially be basically a non-factor so you know ortiz was doing it before before this you know in 03 basically right away um i don't remember how manny was that year specifically he was obviously very good in 2004 um so they were doing it and then look back to 2013 the recent one if we don't go get mike napoli and shane victorino Maybe we don't win a World Series. Those guys had been there before. They they had done it, and they played huge roles. And And just to jog your memory, the, the game three that Verlander started, that was an epic pitcher's duel between him and John Lackey, and it was scoreless through six innings. And then finally, in the seventh inning, Mike Napoli hit an absolute bomb to straightaway center. We win that game one to nothing. So, All right, well, look, Na- Napoli and Victorino had 
lightning in a bottle in 2013. They had no other track record, and they didn't have a track record afterwards, at least as I recall. All right, and then it's not, frankly, fair to compare anyone to the best left-handed postseason hitter hit, uh, hitter in the history of baseball. So, I'm I, look, let's not take it one extreme or the other here. Mookie Betts is not freezing up. He's not, I mean, you know, he, he first of all, he's a gold glover in right field, and nothing's changed there. He's been a good base runner his entire career. Nothing's changed there. He's been an aggressive leadoff hitter. Nothing's changed there. We've seen him attack first pitches in playoff games. Well, we saw that in game four. So I just refuse to believe, you know, and I'm not a homer, and I'm also not a straight contrarian. I'm just saying that, what did you say, 13 games? I mean, I'm sorry. I'm just not going to go there with you. And I, and I think anyone that's willing to do that is trying to create a narrative that I don't think needs to be created. Like, let's let let's the guy get into his first ALCS and see what he does in a seven-game series. And I have every confidence that, you know, maybe he's not going to be, you know, three or four home runs and hit 350. But I'd be surprised if this guy comes out of the series hitting 225 with one RBI and two runs scored. I just do. Well, we'll get into the rest of the pitching, but I'm just saying, I mean, look at that. I mean, every team in the history of the World Series has won it without Mookie Betts. They've won it without Mike Trout. They've won it without Bryce Harper. You don't need a generational talent. What you need is a balanced team that can do it. And I'm not going to go That's- all out. If if we're, if we're going to spend big money on Chris Sale... Uh, and um, Xander Bogarts, and then it comes down to JD at five years, one fifty, or Mookie Betts at ten years, three hundred. I'm going to take JD and and put that extra one fifty to better use. You know, well, totally agree with you on that. But you also switched the narrative on me. You went from you need a you, he's potentially a bust in October to you need a linear balanced lineup to to win World Series and I totally agree with those points. So you now you're making it very hard for me to disagree with you. Well, <laughs> I mean, I probably should have given the full scope of it ahead of time, and and I, I've given that scope time after time on this show. So I'm not I'm not trying to to trick you here, but. I just when when I see Mookie Betts, if if he's not doing it in October, I'm gonna find somebody. I'm gonna find somebody who is, and it doesn't even have to be a future Hall of Famer. I mean, you could get. I mean, just look at all the people you know from the past. Um, I mean, you could go get. Victorino, Napoli, yeah, Brock just Holt. recent ones, yeah. Well, I'm not going to put Holt but, but in that category point, though, yet. Terry, is you still need the Mookie, the Mookie bets of the world to get you into the postseason. And one of the reasons why the postseason heroes are typically not the superstars is because in the postseason, JD Martinez isn't seeing two zero fastballs. Brock Holt is. Mookie Betts isn't going to see, you know, one zero middle middle fastballs. Victorino is. And so there's a reason why typically more of your journeymen are the, you know, the quote-unquote surprise heroes in the playoffs. There's a reason for that. It's because teams pitch away from the, the superstars and towards the, the, the mediocre players. And because they're getting pitches to hit all of a sudden, they become the hero. And, and I mean, look, I, I, again, you switched the narrative on me a little bit there. So I then disagreed with you and then turned around and agreed with you. And you, 
you know, you've put my mind into a little bit of a pretzel doing that. Well, sorry. And we'll, when we get into these um, free agency ones, we'll we'll talk about similar scenarios. But like I said, I mean, that's that's a common narrative that, that I've had. And not necessarily with Mookie, but I've always preached, you know, balance and, you know, not overpaying basically for, for certain guys. And let, let me just say this before we move on, because I, I think we'll all agree on this. If Mookie is an absolute beast this series, if he's the MVP or a candidate for ALCS MVP, I'll probably be all in on signing him. But I'm seeing some red flags right now. And I think however many games it's been, let's see, 10 games so far, he's uh, he's played in the postseason, actually 11. Um that's not a small sample size anymore. So I I want to I want to see him I want to see him thrive and I want to see I want to see what he can do in the regular season, you know. I want to see that type of stuff happen in October. And I, Go ahead, John. I just I just want to see him I just want to see him have a couple of big hits. I just want to see. I don't even care if he wins like the ALCS MVP or is or is or is he even in the conversation? Like I don't even care. I just want to see him have a couple of key hits, so then I can say, okay, well, you know what? He did. He did drive in the run here. That was a big spot. He did come up clutch here, even though apparently that gene doesn't exist. But. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let me well finish. Go ahead, finish your point. But no, I mean, I was just saying. I just, I just think. Um, I just want to see him personally. Just have a couple of hits and then driving a couple of runs, and then you can at least say, okay, well, you know what, Mookie Betts did his job. He played good defense. Probably stole a base or two. You know, he did his thing. He was Mookie Betts. I think that's just the biggest thing you need to see out of him. Right. You know, the defense is probably always going to be there. Um, I think you just, you just need him to come up. A little, not even huge. Even if he hit like 250 and drove in two or three RBIs, I'll take that. Okay, fine. That's fine by me. He doesn't need to hit 400. Yeah, and I mean, that's fair enough. And I mean, he, he hit. Remember that epic walk off? It might not have been a walk off, but I think it was. It, it was either a three run home run, might have even been a grand slam, but it happened at the 13th pitch in the at bat, and they, you know, they raved yeah. about it. That was. Yeah, a, it was a great- that was kind of a turning point for him because he didn't hit very many home runs after that. I think only three or four, and we'll get into more of it later on, but we're just not a power-hitting team right now. So um, if if he finds that this series, and hopefully Benintendi will find it because, I mean, he's only hit two home runs since the All-Star break and none since, since August, so... Um, you know, we need to, we need to see more of that. And one other thing about that thing I brought up about Cora, that was, uh, about him not believing in players being clutch in certain spots. That was, that was in a conversation with the media about David Price. So I, you know, maybe, maybe he's just sticking his neck out there for Price. I, I don't know. And we can all go read yeah, that after. He, he uh, so with that quote, he lied. Okay. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because I I disagreed with it, and I didn't read it in depth as, as much as I wish I should have. But but I think, um, David Ortiz needs to go visit Alex Cora and tell him about Clutch. Right. 
Right. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's kind of move on. I didn't. I had no plans on talking about Mookie Betts for like 15 minutes, but it happened, and it, that's good. You know, radio. So whatever. Um, all right. Let's talk about uh, game. For the record, I'm right, and, and Terry's wrong. Okay. Fair enough. Um, uh, game two is um, that's the price start. We're not going to talk about him. Uh, you know, anymore, but he is going against Garrett Cole, who, my computer's acting weird, um, he pitched seven full innings in his start against the Indians, only gave up three hits, one earned run, struck out 12. That's what David Price is up against, so, uh, and that night's going to be really cold, that's going to be the 45 degree night. Typically, that means a low-scoring night. The ball isn't going to fly off the bat, so I don't think it's going to be a home-run fest. But um, those numbers are pretty ominous to me. And then Ryan Presley, you know, the basically you know the best reliever in the league right now, uh, came in after Cole, and so did Osuna, and neither one gave up a hit. So. If I remember right, didn't Cole have a good game against us the last time he pitched? He might have. Uh, I don't have those numbers up. I was actually um, away during that um, September series, unfortunately. But um, I'm just saying that's that was a great acquisition by picking him up and he, it was an easy one to do because he had a bad year, well, an off year, as I should say, in 2017. So the price tag wasn't quite so high, and, and the Astros swept in and, uh, you know, got him. So uh, the, only reason, the only reason I'm kind of thinking Cole did well is because I think I remember um, listening, I think it was an ESPN game, and I think the ESPN commentators were mentioning how when uh, Cole was on the Pirates the year before that the Red Sox had knocked him around in the home opener or in the opening game of uh, 20, uh, 2017. Yeah, so 2017 and um, and how they're saying he looked weird in like, that game. So I think he pitched decent against us, if I remember right. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Well, he's, you know, he's up against David Price, so um, I don't know. Any thoughts, Jeremy? Well, um, I'm petrified of this game. And, you know, I'm sorry I'm getting a little feedback from my family who just ran into the kitchen to get some stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, you got a guy who came off a great start in the LDS against a really good team, and he's pitching against an absolute puddle. So, I mean, I I think everything I've said on the Red Sox side of things I've already said. This guy, this guy in this spot just scares me. Um, I really do believe um, I've come out pretty strong that I think the Sox are going to win game one or at least have a really good chance to. Um, I think I'm going to come out in the exact opposite way with game two. I think we go into game three with a split and uh, we're going to have to find a win, uh, find a way to win some games in Houston. And maybe it is a blessing that that's against David Price. If he's going to pitch that well, if Cole's going to pitch that well, you know, better. Yeah, I mean, let him let him throw let him throw the eight innings in a game. We're going to lose a hundred to nothing, anyways. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Um, game three um, of the Indians Astros series that was pitched by Keuchel, who had a decent outing. Only only five innings, but uh, only gave up four hits, 
tour and runs. We did kind of get to him. I listened to that game on the radio, uh, you know, the September one, and Porcello had a had a pretty good night, and I think we won that game. So that could potentially be a winnable game, and he's going to be up against Evoldi that game. So it could could potentially go either way. I'm a, I, I like our chances for that game. Yeah, me too. Keiko's reputation is like two years old. He's, I mean, he's a good pitcher, and I frankly wish he was a Red Sox, but. He's not the dominant guy um, that he once was. Uh, 1.31 whip, uh, 153 strikeouts in 204 innings. Um, you know, he does have a good strikeout-to-walk ratio. He's not going to overpower you, and I think his line in the ALDS kind of shows you that. Five innings, four hits, two runs, two earned a base on ball, two strikeouts. So... I mean, he's 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 going to be good enough to give the Astros a chance to win the game. He's not going to come in like Verlander and and um, Cole are capable of doing and just you know shoving it. Um, so I think the with game three, the great unknown and Terry, this is your comment, not mine, or your idea, not mine, is what do you get out of Avaldi outside of the uh, outside of the New York Yankees because he's been. Kind of a run-in-the-mill right-handed starting pitcher in the American League against everybody not named the New York Yankees. So it's like, what, you know, what are we going to get from him? I think that's a determining factor. If you get the same guy who pitched Game Three, I think you're gonna you got a really really good chance to win Game Three. If if you get the guy who's like a four-two-five ERA against everybody else, I think Keuchel probably gives you the advantage because he's not going to implode on himself. Um, you know, he's going to pass it off to the bullpen with a chance to win the game. So it depends, I think, for game three on what form of a Valdi you get. Yeah, Keiko is the stereotypical pitch-to-contact guy and, you know, gets a lot of outs that way. Um, and the troubling thing, though, now that I, I think about it with Evoldi is Porcello won't be available because he's pitching the next night. So Porcello will be available probably games one and two just to go no more than an inning or two. But I don't know who comes out. I mean, if Ovaldi goes five, just say he gives up three runs over five innings, which I'll take that. Uh, he gave up four against them in six innings uh, in his one start against them earlier in the year while he was still with Tampa. But But the question is, who comes out? of the pen after him do you just do you do the Barnes maybe Kelly maybe Hembry and then Brazier Kimbrell it, it, it depends on the form of a Valdi you get if if you get the Yankees version which I don't necessarily think is going to happen but let's say you do I think you just have a normal setup you know you go Brazier you go Barnes you go Kimbrell and maybe you throw Erod in there to get a lefty out if you get something else and he's a high pitch count guy and it's four innings two earned runs but he's throwing 87 pitches and he's cooked you're probably going to see Erod in an extended role there where he's more you know you're trying to get nine outs from Erod instead of you know using him as just against lefties and that, that's the way I see it another thing I just thought about uh, if Price only does go an inning or two he would probably be available 
um, in relief. And I, that could be good or that, bad, but uh, it's probably going to be bad because that means you're going to get killed in game two, and then we get to see David Price again. So thank you for that nightmare situation. <laughs> well, I'm just saying it's an option because <laughs> Terry, you really have a way. You really have a t- a way of spinning the tail, my man. Jeez, uh, that's a god. That's a goddamn nightmare. Well, I mean, he did it last I year. I mean, it's entirely possible, which would... I mean, look, the more realistic the scary movie is, the more scary it is. You know what I mean? I, so I get it. I see it. That's what makes me so concerned. Well, you have to come up with a starter, I think, in, in some of these games. I mean, it can't be it can't be four relievers all seven games if it goes that far. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going at least six one way or the other. Um, but... I just you're gonna need to have one starter available, and I guess Erod is available. I keep forgetting about him, but um, but I don't know. Price has done it in that role against that team, so it's he hard. Has, it's hard to not go back to it. But. In the regular season, he has yes. No, well, he came out twice last postseason. Yeah, he did good in, last in the in the bullpen. Yeah, that's what I mean. As a reliever, like I'm not, I'm not petrified of that. I'm petrified of him starting. I'm not, yeah. I'm not as scared of him coming out of the bullpen. But, um, but for the Avoldi and Porcello starts, you're gonna have to find someone. I, I can't imagine they're gonna bring Sale out of the pen for either of those games, really, because he has to go game five. And, and if he wins, and he also available in game seven, so you start throwing him every single game, you know, it's yeah. just not going to happen, right? But if he wins game one, there has to be a game five, so he's guaranteed to pitch again, and and then, like you said, all hands on deck, you know, everybody's available for at least an inning or so in game seven, so it's going to be interesting to to see this how it plays out, but. I think Porcello starting game four means that he's going to be coming out of the pen in games one and two because he's got an off day after game two and then the Evoldi start, which he'll definitely not be available for, to kind of rest up for for his game four. Because I tweeted about this earlier. Typically, your game four starter is your least valuable guy. It was Buckholz in the, in the 2013 season. And because your game four starter isn't, that's his only start. So your game three guy goes game seven. And I, it's just so weird that, that Porcello's in that spot. So that tells me he's definitely the long relief guy for at least the first couple of games. And isn't he really your second best pitcher? Yeah, I would say so. He's your second most consistent pitcher. Yeah, well, I just mean in the postseason. If we're going regular season, then I'd slot Price in as number two because as much as I hate him, he is a, a decent regular season pitcher. But in the month of October, I'm thinking Porcello, he's he's my number two, ideally. and But he's going game four. So I, I have a question for you guys. Do you guys have faith in Alex Cora that he's going to piece this bullpen together like the way he needs to in order for us to win um terry i'm gonna just go first and then i'm gonna step away from the microphone for a second um yes because i think the ALDS showed that he has the pulse of this team 
he knows where his strengths and weaknesses are. He knows in the games like Kelly in game two where he can get away with throwing him versus not throwing him in the other games that they ultimately win. I mean, I really feel strongly, and maybe it's just because I'm coming off a of years with Farrell, I feel strongly that Cora is going to give us a chance uh, with regards to how he how he understands this bullpen, just this roster generally. And so I think he's going to pick the spots for the right guys. And look, it may or may not work out, but I think he's going to put guys into roles where they have a chance to succeed. Yeah, I agree with that. I think um, I think Cora does have a good pulse on this team. And I think one of the things you heard a lot about before um, Cora was hired is that he has a really high baseball IQ. And I, th- I think he's really demonstrated that with the way that he's kind of pieced this bullpen together, especially in the ALDS. I, I liked what he did in, uh, in Game 4. Um, and, you know, he, he made it out alive in Game 1. Game 2, he didn't really – I mean – Sorry, wait, no. Game three, he didn't really need to piece the bullpen together because it was a blowout, but I liked the way he pieced it together um, in that last game, and yeah, I think he really does have a pulse on this team. I think Cora does have a plan. Like, I'm, I'm not doubting that by any means, and his bullpen management is really generally the least of my concerns. He just seems very competent in that. Um... John John Farrell, that was his weakness, which ironically is weird because he, he was a pitching coach. And so I'm just not going to complain on there. I've done a lot of Cora bashing, you know, since I hated that lineup. I, I don't want to rehash all of that. Um, you know, the game four lineup he put out. And I didn't like the fact that he left Nunez in the game once he had his final at bat. I, I really thought that that Holt should have been in there. I think that was the eighth inning. So Holt should have been in there, you know, kind of as a defensive replacement. And when that, when that final throw to to first base happened, you know, from Nunez, I I had to look away from the TV. I just, I just looked away and just kind of listened. And it was quickly apparent that obviously it didn't go into the stands or whatever, but, um, but I think in regards to the bullpen, he's got a plan. And, I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me that Porcello is the long guy in games one and two, which I'm fine with, I guess. But um, we'll see. I mean, our starters have to be somewhat solid. You know, I mean, we don't do too well when we're – facing really good teams like this and, and then we're down, you know, by the sixth inning. I don't know what the splits are, but I don't think there was many games that we came back to win and the Astros beat us excuse me, four games to three you know, in the regular season, so Yeah. Yeah, this is um, this is going to be a very, very um, interesting ma- matchup. I'm all for it. I can't wait. I'm, I'm like beyond excited for this series. I think it's going to be one of the better playoff series in the last like few years, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, it's a lot like 2013. I keep comparing it to that season for some reason. But at the start of that season, we all kind of knew that we were probably going to end up facing Detroit. And I think at times Detroit yeah. was even the favorite to, to win the World Series that year. And... 
you know, by mid-August, obviously, we were we were making our own case, and it was probably 50-50 by the time that series started. And I, I gave the slight edge to Detroit, and I still feel better. I still think that team has a better had a better chance of beating Detroit than this one has in beating the Astros. Like I, I, I wasn't quite lacking the confidence for that series as I am with this one. But um but you know, we're the one hundred and eight win team. We've been at the top of the league all year. And then the Astros have been solid basically all year. They had some injury issues, but the two teams that are supposed to be playing in the ALCS are the teams that are here this year. So um, it's a good match on paper, and hopefully it's going to be a good match on the field. I agree. And one thing I will say about the Astros as a team that's been there and won a championship recently, they're like the Spurs in the NBA. They don't put the importance on the regular season because they have nothing to prove. As long as they're in and they're healthy, they're going to have a chance to win the whole thing. And they knew that. So, you know, Boston coming off the fire Farrell era, you know, being Coral's first year, they had more to prove as far as more likely just to themselves. But they had more to prove as far as, you know, we're ready to be one. We're ready to take the next step. And two, we're ready to be a World Series caliber team. The Astros had no desire to push for that. And I think that just showed as the Red Sox pulled away, the Astros were kind of just down in Houston, like doing their thing, not worried about it. And here they are. And, and on paper, they're still a better team. They have a better lineup. I think their rotation is generally better. And I think their lineup is generally better. Um, so, um, you know, that's where I'm at with the series. Uh, yeah. And I mean, the way they beat Cleveland and made them look like a complete non-factor was really impressive. And, you know, it's in the back of my mind. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully we put up, worrying. Better, <laughs> we put up a better fight than they do. Um, I don't think there's really much point in going beyond the first three games. Um, you know, we oh, getting some feedback there. Sorry, my the alarm system in my house. Oh, okay. Um, talks to talks to me when when someone steps opens an exterior door, and that just happened. Oh, good radio, good radio. <laughs> okay, that's all right. We're killing it anyway. Do you have a prediction, Terry? I well, mean, you're in the prediction game. Usually, you get them wrong, like picking the Yankees in four games. So, you got anything for this one? Yeah, I want to go last. I'm gonna be weird, but I and you guys aren't gonna influence me. I, I promise you that, but. Uh, John, why why don't you? Can I first? can I can I make a prediction on Terry's prediction? <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> all right, Terry, write your prediction down. All right, here it is. Terry's prediction, Jeremy's prediction, and Terry's prediction: Astros and six. So, John, why don't you go first and bat lead off here? All right. Um, I'm actually I'm actually agreeing with that. I say it's Astros and six. Um, I I hate to sound like doom and gloom and negativity but i just i just think that the astros are top to bottom the better built team and um yeah i just i see them i see them taking game two i i actually i actually honestly have them taking game one i think sale may be the better pitcher or i know he's the better pitcher than verlander but um 
I still worry about his pitch efficiency. Um, I still worry about the bullpen. And we just got done saying how nasty Presley is and they have Asuna and they have a way better run-up, in my opinion, top to bottom. So, yeah, I'm kind of going Astros in six myself. Okay. Um, I have this... And I'm not a huge prediction guy as far as like I know what's gonna happen, you know what's gonna happen, so I can actually pinpoint the games. So typically, what I would say is, and what I would like to say is, um, this game could go six games to the Astros, six games to the Red Sox, and anywhere in between. Um, now, if you were gonna force me to say who I think is gonna win the series, I guess I'm gonna go out and say the Sox win in seven in Fenway Park. With the difference being that that the Red Sox get four games in Fenway Park and Sale wins both of his starts. Okay, well that's fair enough, and uh, John and I certainly hope you're right. But uh, yeah, absolutely. yeah, um, and I kind of gave it away when I said I, I feel like this is going at least six, um, and that's that is you you kind of nailed my prediction there. Um, yeah, I'll I'm Astros in six and. We know their starting pitching is better. You know, I mean, after price. I'm sorry, after sale. After sale, absolutely. But I mean, I it's don't think it's a drastic play. difference between Sale and Verlander. I can totally see Verlander holding us to one run over six innings, and you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that you know that's impossible. But, but I would take Sale in that in that matchup. Um, but I mean, Charlie Morton is. I'm assuming we didn't. We don't. We don't know who their uh, game four guy. It says TBA, but Charlie Morton would probably be the number two guy on the Red Sox staff, and he's their number four guy. So um, that's just an insanely deep rotation. And then, as John said, they got Ryan Presley. They have Ozuna in the ninth. They have Lance McCullers, who could go a couple of innings. They have Colin McHugh, who's had a phenomenal year, who can also give you a couple of innings. He's a he's a former starter as well. I just I just can't. It's just too much. It's just too much. And they can they can play small ball. They can manufacture runs. They can hit for power. You know they can they can do it all. And I just I can't see us pulling this one out. The Astros are a team that won 103 games, and they they were missing like um, they they were missing uh, what's his name Jose um, why am I blanking on the name the second baseman? Yeah, Altuve. I mean, they were missing Altuve for a good chunk of time. They were missing um Correa. Yeah, they 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 were missing a lot of players, and they won 103 games. This is a team that you should not take lightly at all, and I don't think anybody is, but. This team could very easily. It could. They could very easily sweep us. I don't think it goes that way, but they could very easily do it. If anybody's getting swept, it's definitely the Red Sox. But um, if guys, if, guys, if, guys, if we're if come we're, on, if we're giving the Astros game two, and I think we ju- we did. I think we've already given them game two. They essentially have home field advantage then at that point because. They won the one at home, and then they, they got three home games themselves. So, um, well, I should have said they won the one at Fenway, and then they have three home games. But 
It's the way I, mean, I reserve the right to change my opinion if Sale loses game one. But I just refuse to believe, one, both of these teams are so insanely talented that I just don't see, if, if a sweep happens, it's like, you know, Sale gets rocked in game one and like gives up like six runs in the first inning and like the Red Sox are so shell-shocked they can't come back from it. Like the, the, for a sweep to happen one way or the other, it, it would just, it would take some monumental event that no one can foresee. Right, so, I, and then look. I, again, I'm not. I, 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 I hate the homers, and I listen to as much sports radio as anybody. I hate the homers, but I also hate the contrarians. And so, to just come out and say strongly that this team doesn't have a chance, and you don't see it happening another way. I mean, I'm sorry. I just think that's too much, and that's really my prediction is a cop out. But it's six. It's six games one way or the other. And, I mean, these teams are – look, the Astros do have the better lineup, you know, top one through nine. And they do have the better bullpen. And they do have, you know, a deeper starting rotation. But it's not like, you know, the bad news bears are playing the 27 Yankees here, guys. I mean, it's a it's the best Red Sox regular season team in the history of the Boston Red Sox. They just dispatched the Yankees, despite despite Price giving you absolutely nothing quickly. So you think the you think the Astros were decisive in their series? Well, guess what? The rest of the American uh, baseball fan base is looking. Well, if you take Price out of that Yankee series, that thing wasn't going any other way but for the Red Sox. So I'm sorry. I'm just not going to be – I don't think it's a home run. I don't think the Red Sox are just going to walk away with the series and win it. But I also don't think the Astros are just such a foregone conclusion that it's going to happen that way. I mean, it, I'm sorry. The Red Sox are too talented. See, here's the one thing I don't – here's the one thing I'd say. Even though they've won 108 games, and that's great and everything, but would you even say that this is the best Red Sox team you've seen? Like, would you take this team over the 2004 Red Sox? Okay. John, your question attacks my narrative, and I like that because <laughs> that is <laughs> – I, I love people that disagree with me, John. I don't know if you know about that because I, I don't really have a fun time just talking with people that agree with me. So a great question, great great hypothetical, and it, it completely attacks my narrative. I love it. Um, different situation because that team was facing the curse you know that they, they that te- that team came up and they had they just had the biggest zero fucks attitude of any professional sports team I've ever seen. And okay, Kurt, Schilling, Kurt Schilling attacked it. I'm here to beat the curse. David Ortiz became the best left-handed playoff offensive player in the history of baseball. Manny, you know what was it? Was it Trot who hit a bit? Trot Nixon hit a massive home run to dead central in that playoff run. That team is I don't think comparable. Now, on paper, like you have Mookie Betts, you have J.D. Martinez, you have Chris Sale, you have more top-end talent on this iteration of the Boston Red Sox, but it's not a fair comparison because that team was like, they basically found the top 25 to 30 guys who were like, fuck the curse, and said, all right, we're just going to roll with these guys. So it's a tough comparison. It is. It is tough. I don't know. I'd, I'd probably take the 014 10 times out of 10, though. See, I would take the 2017. Oh, God, so the, they won the World Series. 
So, of course, yeah, I'll take the 0-4 team as we sit here today. I'm just saying, but it was a better team anyway. The 0-4 team, I like the 0-7 team. I think I think that was the best offensive team we had. That was going to be my next question to Jeremy. If he didn't want, if he didn't want to go with the 04 team, I was going to say, fine, the 07 team then. Yeah, I mean, and that that I mean, Manny and Poppy did in the postseason what they did in the regular season. They were the same, and and maybe they were even better in the in the postseason. So there's that. You know, Mike. Yeah, Lowell, that's, that's, Mike Lowell that was, was absolutely loaded. Mike Lowell was the MVP. Yeah, so. I felt way better about that postseason than I do this one. I just, I just can't get there. We have to, we have to step up. I want to be wrong. I, I took all the shit everybody gave me for, for you know, saying four, four to one Yankees, and I'll gladly take it again at the end of this series if I'm wrong. And I want to be wrong. And, and uh, may, maybe me picking the Astros is a good thing, you know. But, but two, two. Two points on my end. One, I think in five years, if Mookie's still here and they've made a couple of playoff runs, I think you're going to look at Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez in this lineup very similar to the way that you look at Ortiz and Manny. And I know that's a really bold statement, but those are these are two really generational. Like In, in the form of Mookie, he's a NBA point guard athletically playing right field and batting leadoff. Like He's a freak of nature. I, I mean, to say that he's Ricky Henderson... You know, he's not the base dealer Ricky Henderson was, but he's by far and away the best athlete in that sort of, like, analogy. J.D. has, in the non-steroid era, has put together three or four seasons here that are really unrivaled. I mean, he's really, really consistent. He's half the money of Stanton, yet if you look at the numbers and balance them up, he's actually been the better offensive player. So, I mean, I just think we have the benefit of historical performances world championships with guys and you're going to look back and go yeah of course i'm going to take you know <laughs> david ortiz hitting third and manny hitting fourth so i'm all for that and i don't disagree with it it's going to be really hard for me to come out looking you know like i feel like i you know like anyone would think i won that argument you know i, I so I, I i see it i get it um but these, these are generational talents let's not think that in five years we're not going to be looking at them the same way well, I mean, if Mookie's here in five years, he he landed that big contract. But um, I well, that's why I say if I, he's here. If I he's here. want him to. I want him to have that season. I just haven't seen it yet, and I'm still I'm still really conflicted about the whole leadoff thing. You know, I, the the Bradley's disappeared. Like, have you noticed that? Like, he's fucking disappeared. And he had a great second half. So we don't know what we're going to get out of Devers or Nunez, whoever gets the most time there. Um, I don't think we're going to get a lot of offense out of our catcher, whoever that ends up being. The Astros have a really good bottom half of the order there. And, I mean, they have Josh Reddick in in their eight or nine hole. (laughs) Why can't we get guys like that? But... (laughs) But well, I, I just it's just too complete of a team and there's just too many flaws. There's just too many what ifs for the Red Sox. So I'm confidently gonna say the Astros in six and then hope to hell that I'm wrong. And and I'll say this. 
I like the Red Sox against against both National League teams. That's why the whole David Price thing in Game 2, just throwing away that game is so aggravating because all we got to do is get to the World Series and we stand a really good chance of winning it. And we're fucking it up right now by having that choke artist go in Game 2. It's just so aggravating. And we don't know, I, we don't know what, if we're going to have another shot next year. I mean... It's hard to imagine we're not going to have a, a bit of a hangover after 108 wins. And and uh, let me I, I I'll let you go in a second, John. But 108 wins, that's I don't even take that seriously because only six teams in the American League tried. There was the five playoff teams, the Seattle Mariners, and then nobody else. Nobody else tried. They all sold off all their stuff in the over the winter, and then they they did it even further in the. Uh, Trade deadline. So, fair. What's that? Fair. Yeah. I think the over. I think people that rely strictly on the 108 wins are are not seeing. You know, the 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 forest for the trees. I mean, it's just it it it. You're right. I mean, it's a it's a good point, Terry. I hate agreeing with you. I have to do it here. <laughs> um, you know. 108 win teams. When look, you had a team in your division that won. How many? What were the? What was the Orioles' final record? Like 50 wins, 52 wins. It was 111 like losses. 111 losses. So whatever I mean, that on. works out. So yeah, no, I totally agree that it's a little bit skewed because the American League actually stunk out loud, except for six teams this year. Yeah, I feel like what the Red Sox have to do is they have to do like what the old four team did or what the players have said they did and treat this upcoming Houston series kind of like their World Series. Like, they need to get past the Houston Astros. I almost said Rockets. Um, <laughs> but they need to get they need to get past the uh, Houston Astros and they have to treat this like this is kind of their World Series. Because I think this is the biggest hurdle to get through. Because like you said, Terry, I do like our chances against both NL teams if we did make the World Series. Right. So, to piggyback off John's comments, the re- the reason why I like the Red Sox, despite the fact that on paper the Astros are a better ball club, and it's not because I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, because I don't consider myself a homer, um, the Fenway, Fenway, four games at Fenway is a factor. Let's not pretend it's not, because they're a different ball club in Fenway Park. The second thing is, and I, and I think this is a factor, maybe you guys will disagree with me, I'm not sure. The fact that they won last year, I'm not saying they don't want to win it again. I just think the Red Sox are a hungrier ball club. There's no one left over from that 13 team. I, I believe there's no one left over. Yeah, um, not- yeah, so this team doesn't have any pedigree. Zero. In fact, their pedigree says that they pretty much folded up shop and gone home with their balls in hand when, when it got to the playoffs. So the Astros have done what they have to do. They won. They won, and not only did they win, they win. They won a, like two years earlier than everyone predicted, except for Sports Illustrated. So you know, I think the two biggest factors are again Fenway Park, and as much as Houston wants to win it again, I just think the Sox are going to be are going to want it more. Well, and look, maybe I'm wrong, and I maybe that's a factor. Like maybe it's like you know, hey dipshit no one else thinks like you and and maybe and maybe that's what you guys are about to tell me and and i and, and i can probably be convinced that i'm a dipshit so but you know 
I just think those are two factors that can't be undersold here. And we still have, and don't tell me I'm wrong on this, we still have the best, best pitcher in, this, in the series. And I know we've had this conversation about Mookie and what his playoff performance has been. But I still think we have the best two hitters in the series. So, yeah, if you go by lineup and rotation and bullpen, we probably are 0 for 3. But when it comes to the top-end talent in this in this series, with the other factors I discussed, I, you know, I, I'm not guaranteeing anything, but I like our chances. One thing I want to say, while I do agree with you that we have the best pitcher and uh, we probably have the best two hitters, but the thing that I'm wondering is, do we have the hottest hitters right now? Do we have the hottest pitchers right now? I would say right now, I'd say the Astros hitters are way hotter than I'd say they're fairly hotter than we are. I mean, we did score 16 runs against the Yankees, but I mean... What- All right, John, then do you put any stock in the fact that they haven't played in a week by the time Saturday no, night do. comes around? I do. I do put stock in that. I do put stock in that. It's only but one I mean, day, again, though. One day yeah, less. Again, yeah, it's only a game, a game difference, so that's like the big thing. It's not like we've, all, we've only been sitting around two days. We've been sitting around for four days or however many days it is. So, you know, it's not that big of a difference. But um, but that's the thing I wonder is, do, do they have the hotter team right now? And I think they do. Well, I'm not going to, you know, the hunger thing, you know, maybe the Red Sox do want it more. And if they're going to win, that has to be why. Because we, we've agreed that they're not as good in, in some areas. So a big component of them winning is going to be because they want it more. But I, I think Houston's dialed in. I think they're they're in a they're in a zone and I don't know. One of my favorite quotes in the offseason was from Dallas Keiko, because they're the defending champs and one of the national writers asked him, they said, Hey, do you think you guys will have as good of a year? You know, can you guys top last year? Will there be a hangover effect? And all Keiko said to that reporter is, We're not the Cubs. And that's I remember that no one no one wants to talk about the fact that there's four games at Fenway Park and three at Minute Maid Park. I guess I mean, I mean you guys have attacked the other points, but you have attacked the fact that that the, look at the end of the day, the 108 wins may not matter for for anything but the fact that we get four games at Fenway Park. Yeah, but game two is a throwaway, though, and I know that's – I'm not trying to cop out, but uh, – you know. No, that's fair, and I hate David Price, and I hate everything about him, including his stupid dog and beard and everything about <laughs> He does him, have basically. an ugly beard. That's uh, doesn't never get talked about, but – why, why does he have to adjust his jersey back with a flat hand? Like, why does he have to do the same thing with the bring of his hat? Does he have to do everything different than normal people? He, he like, I don't even, like, I guarantee you that he ties his shoes differently than us. <laughs> like, he probably sits down and puts his pants on, like, both legs at the same time just to be different from, like, every other normal human being in the in the history of the world. I just hate the guy with, like, so much passion right now. So I to- I can't disagree with you that game two is probably a loss. But even with that said, I, that assumes that we're then going to go into Houston and not win a game. Like I'm sorry, we're going to win a game in Houston. The game's going to get we're going to get back to Fenway Park. There's the series is going six games. No one's disagreed with me on that. It's just that no one wants to, no one wants to discuss the fact that 
Fenway Park has historically been, when the Sox are good, a huge factor in their success, especially in the playoffs. Oh, I agree with you there, a hundred percent. Fenway's gonna be Fenway will be the difference maker if we win. I think Fenway will have been the biggest difference maker in the whole thing is that you have the home field advantage. And that's what with the hundred and eight wins does come in a huge advantage. I mean you just you just got home field advantage over a team that won hundred and three games. So I think that is absolutely huge. And if we do win, that'll probably end up being like the key difference right there is that we had home field and they didn't. But um, but I don't know. It's it's just gonna be close. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, we, you know, we'll be doing a show Saturday night, so that'll uh, you know, kind of set the table for the rest of the series. But uh, I guess we can just wrap. We're uh, at about an hour and thirty five minutes, so um, think we packed a lot into this show, and uh, hopefully, uh. Hopefully we'll do at least six or seven shows throughout the series. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, hopefully. All right. Well, I'll cut you guys loose, and uh, we'll be in touch via text or DM or whatever throughout the series, probably stressing each other out and whatever, but (laughs) good enough. Well, go Sox. Go Sox. We all did agree that. If we agreed on one thing, it's that we have to win game one with Sale on the mound. So, yeah. go Sox. Go go get game one, and then we can reconvene and go from there. Absolutely. Yep. Terry, thanks for having us, man. Like I've said a hundred times, this, this is a lot of fun, and I do appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I have just as much fun, and uh, thanks uh, also, John, for hanging out with us. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you, guys. Yeah. All right. Have a, have a good night. Episode 90 in the books, the ALCS preview show. So hopefully uh, hopefully I'm wrong again, but uh, I don't know. I don't like the way Houston beat Cleveland, so we'll see. We'll see. Jeremy will get the last laugh if, uh, if, it, if it does uh, pan out that way. So um, we'll be back Saturday night and... Uh, Have some game one post-game reaction, and we will uh, see you then. Sucks.